0: Often, you hear the stories of individuals in a sporting organization, such as the players, coaches, and managers. It's not as common that you hear the story of individuals working behind the scene. I'm Taiwa Deshigman, a sports journalist partnering with Arizona Sports Collective to share the stories of various stakeholders in the sports world. I'm speaking with Jose Botch, who talks about his journey to working for Phoenix Rising FC and the role of media.
1: Yeah, I would say that sports is is, is ever-present in my life, has been, and I, I just couldn't see myself um, not not being interested in sports. I always find it funny when I run into people that, you know, they, you know, when I was in grad school, I remember someone, I think it was the middle of October, and, and they just kind of looked at me and was like, is, is the World Series going on right now? And for me, that's just, I can't imagine my calendar not being centered around what's happening on the sports
0: calendars. That's Jose Botch, who is a digital media and broadcast relations manager for Phoenix Rising FC, the semi-professional men's soccer team in Phoenix, Arizona. Jose was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and lived in a household where sports was a popular topic. He was a three-sport athlete, but he played baseball the longest, stating that baseball is certainly his favorite sport. And the Detroit Tigers is his favorite baseball team to follow.
1: Well, baseball is my, my number one sport, um, and, and that's the one I, I, I kept through all the way through through high school. Uh, I play basketball and, and football. Um, if anyone saw me play basketball now, they'd be shocked that I was even on a team, but it was junior high.
0: And his interest in sports doesn't stop on the playing field.
1: I love playing video games. I really only like playing sports video games. I'm not really into them. The shooters like Call of Duty and yeah. and all those that you see a lot of people playing now. I'm pretty much just
0: into FIFA Madden and, and the show. So While he never really played organized soccer, he certainly enjoyed watching the matches. And today he has a favorite team among the various soccer leagues around the world. Here's why Newcastle is his favorite team, and it has nothing to do with their actual performance on the pitch.
1: Looking at the EPL teams, just trying to figure out which one had the closest parallel to Detroit sports. Um, Here, you know, it's better than just picking, you know, the best team at the time, which was still Man United or or, or, uh, Liverpool or or Arsenal. And so I kind of looked and and Newcastle caught my eye. One, I I really like the beer that's from Newcastle. So that was a plus. (laughs) Uh, The uniforms, I I love the uniforms classic, which is kind of similar. You know, all the Detroit teams have very classic uh, uniforms they've had forever. And that's kind of a Newcastle. Um, the area of Newcastle is a very working class uh, city in, in Northern England. And that kind of uh, coincides with you know the reputation that Detroit has. And then just like the, uh, the Detroit Tigers, they haven't won anything in forever. So I figured I this, say that. <laughs> this is the team that, uh, that fits me best. So that's the team.
0: Even before obtaining his educational degrees, he was always intrigued by sports media. He was fascinated with the ability to be creative and use different approaches to share one's story
1: coming up through college is that, you know, ultimately what I really liked about journalism and, and being a reporter was, you know, the telling stories, you know, writing, um, doing video, audio stuff. And that's something that, you know, I, I discovered I could do um, just about anywhere, not just as, you know, a reporter for the New York Times. So that's how I ended up getting into being on the media relations side and, and working on the team side of things, as opposed to working for papers.
0: He credits his family for ingraining the importance of having an understanding of various roles in journalism.
1: I had always been taught by an uncle who was in the, in the television industry, and he, and he had always told me that, you know, it's always good to know how to do every single job that's involved, even if, you know, you don't end up, you know, for him, it was TV. So he knew how to, you know, be the producer, he knew how to be the editor, he knew how to work the cameras. And that always stuck with me. So, you know, if you know how to do everything, everything, first of all, that's, it's going to make you, um, uh, uh, more attractive to, to prospective employers, um, but also, you know, it just helps you understand what other people are doing. So when you become part of a team, you know, a lot of times you have to work by yourself and, and having, knowing how to do all those things are important. But when you then start working with a team, you better understand what everyone's roles are and, and you can uh, better understand what, where people are coming from and, and you can work better with them. So I'm always very grateful that that was something that that was ingrained into me by my family.
0: Besides the domestic soccer leagues, he also enjoys watching the major soccer events such as a World Cup and Olympics. It was nine years ago that he became an avid follower.
1: In 2011, when I got my first job in soccer with FC Tucson, I figured, you know, I'm probably gonna have to uh, get a soccer team because everyone else has, so.
0: From working as a writer for various publications, he shares his journey to working for Phoenix Rising FC. Well, it was
1: interesting. When I, I first got into soccer with, with FC Tucson, I was around 20, it was very end of 2011 into 2012. And I worked with them for three seasons. Um, you know, unfortunately because of, uh, they're an amateur team, you know, they, they couldn't afford to pay me full time. I think by my last year there, I was only being paid about eight or $9,000 for the year, which, which is not much at all. Um, so I, I had to get a job because I have student loans to pay and, and uh, I ended up going to a company called stretch internet which is basically as essentially it support for um colleges and universities for streaming their sporting events so you know that that little detour in my career was actually very important because it helped me learn the ins and outs of online streaming which now is important as you know um so while i was there uh i i uh already knew a guy that was working with with what was then arizona united and they eventually became phoenix rising you know he's the, the media relations guy there and so they needed help on the broadcast on their broadcast they needed a color commentator and so for 2015 that's basically what i did with the team is is work as a color commentator and while i was working this other job and you know the idea being oh i can get this experience and then maybe you know apply for something else down the road well that guy ended up you know leaving his position uh during the season and so they needed someone to fill in and say, since I had had previous experience doing that, I, I, you know, said, yeah, I can fill in and be a part, part-time part for you while I'm at this job full-time, you know, get through the season, and then we'll see what happens. And then once once we got through that 2015 season, you know, that off-season, that's when I decided, you know, I wanted to really try to get back into to working in soccer, you know, the same job I had at FC Tucson. So that's when I, um, you know, work,
0: you know, talked with them in the off-season and, and worked with them and, and, and eventually,
1: you know, got an, an offer to work with them.
0: He wears many hats for Phoenix Rising, as he is the only full-time hire who manages the media content. For him, there's usually not a week he's doing the same thing.
1: So, so it's always interesting. It, it kind of uh, how a week goes kind of depends on what happens last week. So obviously, the you know, very first game of the season is kind of easy going into it, right? You're, you're counting down to the season opener. You're getting everyone excited for the game. You're, you know, kind of promotions you're doing. So then. I, I like to talk about the weeks where you're kind of in the middle of the season. You're just coming off a particular game. So if you're coming off a big win, you know, that's huge for us, right? Because that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you can kind of rehash a lot of the awesome things that happened in the previous game. And, and lucky for us, we have a team that scores a lot of goals for instance. So you'd be surprised how many times that you can, you know, replay, you know, specific goals, especially if you have multiple camera angles like we do and kind of use that content on um, Saturday, Saturday, um, Sunday, monday tuesday to get people excited for the upcoming game then depending on whether or not the games are home game or away game kind of de- you know determines what the strategy is going into so, the home game you know there's a very good chance it's a theme night so then you know usually by monday is when you first get you know the theme night out there so hey everybody it's going to be you know superhero night at, at, at uh, phoenix rising that so come on out and, and, and come to the match you know you'll have your lateral that's already been created ahead of time you know you put that out there and then you know any other you know you might have various ticketing deals you might have um, various appearances depending on what's happening on that game week you know if it's something that is if if we're doing something that week that's of broader interest you know you may have players doing media appearances Um, most weeks you don't but some weeks you'll have that
0: with all the hard work behind the scenes there's one goal in mind
1: And ultimately, the way I see it is, you know, we're trying to, as best as possible, give people the experience of what it's like being at a Phoenix Rising match. Or for people that have already been there, reminding them how much fun they had at a Phoenix Rising match. So,
0: To make his content a memorable experience for the fans, he realized the importance of trying different things, but sees areas of improvement in the future.
1: Would love one day to be be the team that sets the sets the standard for doing something in a particular way. Um, but you know, such a sports in general is just very copycat. Once somebody kind of does something a certain way, everyone will do it uh, in their own way, but do the same thing. And you know, it's always fun trying to find you know what that is and and trying to do it in a way that isn't straight up copying somebody else, but doing it in a way that's fun for your brand and, and fun for your team and and also the players as well, because if they're not having fun doing the content that you're making, then, you know, it's not going to make for very good content.
0: With all the given roles, the most challenging aspect of his job is the mental component. I, I don't want to speak for
1: anyone else that has my position. Uh, I, I know for me, it's 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 a mental toll. It's very hard when you're working on content, it's very hard not to get personally attached to it. And as anyone who's been on social media can tell you, you know, there's plenty of people willing to tell you that you're not Good at whatever you're doing, right? And it can be tough sometimes not to take things that are, you know, really geared toward, you know, the team or the coach or whatever, to not take that personally. It'd be one thing if the only thing you saw was the content you put out, uh, but when you see other people's content as well, you know, you're constantly reminded of what's a gold standard, what isn't a gold standard, and 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 it can be difficult not to try to compare yourself.
0: He's always brainstorming ideas to produce the very best content for his team.
1: As a, as a team and club, you, you want to make sure that you're among the best in your league, and you want to make sure that you're you're staying on on trend with the strategies that you have. Um, but you know, everything is is completely unique. Your audience is going to be unique compared to another team's audience. Your market's going to be unique to another team's market. So you have to understand that a little bit in context. And I think that can be difficult sometimes. So I think for me, the mental toll of, you know, having to feel like you're constantly online because you don't want to miss out on anything, um, making sure the team and and the channels are are as updated as possible, that doing, you know, everything as on brand and on trend as possible.
0: Soccer being the most popular sport around the world, Jose believes soccer is still up and coming in the States. He admits that soccer media in the U.S. is continually evolving and the content is now becoming more geared for soccer fans.
1: When ESPN first got the broadcast rights for the World Cup in 2010, I distinctly remember that the the thing everyone commented on and, and liked about it was that ESPN treated the viewer as, um, like it was an intelligent soccer fan and, you know, in soccer in the U S you know, fans probably as intelligent about the sport as they were, as they are now. So that was kind of a new thing, you know, prior to that, you know, so much coverage of soccer in the U S was very much like, you know, what is soccer and explaining, you know, very simple rules and simple concepts. I think Fox had done previous world cups and and Fox just does that in general. I'm not the biggest fan of how they cover live events, but I think that was a a game changer for um, a, 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 Kind of a, a first game changer for soccer in the U.S. is you know ESPN broadcasting the World Cup and, and treating it like the majority of the audience knows knows about soccer and talking about intelligently. I distinctly remember so many people online saying you know I, I, I don't really know much about it uh, about soccer but I do appreciate you know the way they're presenting it and 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 you know not assuming that too many people are are, are dumb for lack of a better term when it comes to soccer. But I think that was huge for. Uh soccer in the US in terms of how it was covered is you know ESPN coming in 2010, I think 2014 as well, and and covering it the way they covered it any other sports. They didn't cover it like it was this, you know, small sport that no one's ever heard of. You know, you still see them do that with different things like darts and, and cornhole, but they you know, they're covering it like a big tent sporting event, which is what it deserves because that's what it gets everywhere else in the world. I think the next step in evolution of that and kind of similar to what espn did was what nbc did getting the rights uh the american rights to um uh epl um uh streaming and you know those first few years you know every, people forget now but those first few years they literally had every single game for free you know assuming you you paid for for uh, uh cable and had nbc sports um every single game for free for i think it was like three or four of those years and it was the same thing they treated it just like you had the coverage uh, of back in england in terms of covering soccer they even had you know match of the day which is a huge thing over there and they, they kind of brought that over here in the U.S. and so I think that when, when um when it comes to you know growing the game the U.S. media has a huge huge role in that the more uh normalized soccer coverage becomes um you know the more top of mind soccer becomes for for the general person in the U.S. I think um one way that somebody uh pointed out was you know uh basketball in the u.s is very similar to what soccer is everywhere else um you know you just think how ubiquitous basketball is here in the u.s you know you have kids playing basketball at lunch that you know may not just just doing it just for fun right uh not necessarily the way that you know before when it was soccer it was like very soccer is very specialized soccer was you know just a a a a particular group of people playing it at least here in the u.s whereas everywhere else You know, people are just randomly playing soccer, whether or not they're very good athletes or not. They're just playing soccer and the same thing with basketball. And I think that when it comes to the growth of the game or really growth of any sport, the more ubiquitous it is in your life, uh, the more that you're going to have people, you know, come up playing the sport naturally. And then obviously that just grows your pool of of talented players. So it's not just about the people, people's interest in the sport, but then also, you know, growing your actual talent. So now you're starting to to get to a point where. You know, only the last few years soccer has had that role that other sports have had, where it's it's almost background noise, um, and that's not necessarily in a negative way. But when it's just kind of ever present in your life, it's going to be something that you you fall toward a lot more. The way that um, someone like me grew up watching baseball. So,
0: but he still believes the U.S. has ways to go.
1: I think the the normalization of, of soccer coverage in U.S. media, I um, mean, it's still not quite where, uh, you know, certainly not to the point of of you know, football. You know, every single football team has a beat writer, a local beat writer or a beat writer on a national um, uh, platform like ESPN. Certainly not the case with soccer yet. Not every MLS team has a beat writer. I mean, the, the Athletic, who probably does the best with soccer coverage, has a beat writer for every single team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the more that happens, uh, you know, the more that you're going to get, you know, the the, ca- the casual soccer fan or the, the soccer fan that's, uh, you know, grows up because their their parents grew up watching soccer. And I think what helps grow the sport and grow the game in the U.S. is just, you know, that ubiquitous uh, media coverage. So I think media is, is incredibly important when it comes to that. And, you know, it's gotten better, but it's still not where, you know, someone like me who works in
0: soccer would like to see it. And when it comes to producing soccer content, he finds being genuine with the content will help share the unique and untold stories.
1: From a brand's perspective and a team's perspective, the, the word that's gonna be used the most is authenticity and, and, and being authentic to, to partly to your brand and then partly to what your audience is. A team, if you you know, diversity is is such a tough word because it's not the most precise, but you know, as a team, if we say we're gonna we're gonna do this content for the sake of trying to, to get women, for instance. Um, you know, if we're, if we're doing it just to check a box, it's not going to be very authentic and then it's not going to be very good content. So you, you want to try to be authentic to who you are and to who your audience is. I think for soccer media to do that, you need to have a lot more voices who are making the content. So, uh, someone like me, um, uh, American who grew up in, in Detroit, Michigan, is going to have a lot of different experience than you know someone else, and so there's there's different that can make that's going to be broadly universal. Um, especially as a sports fans, there's a lot of experiences that as sports fans we experience and broad appeal. It's really about um, having as many different voices telling stories as possible, um, to create uh, to create content that's appeal to as many different people as possible. That's, that's what I say. And I, and I would say that one thing that I think that teams and brands should be open to is not being too concerned about, you know, a perfect example is, is, is Spanish language content, for instance, for teams. Um, most teams uh, are starting to have Spanish language uh, specific accounts and websites. And I, that's, that's great. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, one thing that I've always wondered was, if by putting that content on a different account or in a different site, are you othering Spanish language content? Are you making it seem like, well, it's not quite as good because it's not on the main page, it's just being shared by the main page every once in a while. What I would love to see is a team integrate Um, Spanish language content, or really whatever, you know, wherever the team is based, maybe where a team's based is not Spanish, maybe it's, you know, Mandarin, because they have a large uh, Chinese audience, for instance, but I would love to see more of teams brands uh, where we want to kind of integrate those different, you know, in one aspect languages with stories on a main feed, as opposed to othering it and putting it on, on a separate feed you know, how many people uh, don't know English that well, but they're stuck looking at English language content. You know, that's, that's just one, one example of, of, you know, trying to, for lack of a better term, create diversity. But I think just exposing people to as many different stories, as many different ways of telling stories from as many different voices, I think the, the ideal, I think the audience in the U.S. in general is already understands, you know, how I think that's some of the appeal of soccer in the U S already that it's a, it's a sport that has a lot of different cultures and you see a lot of people talking about that. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of it is still, you know, people still seeing it from afar. And if you have more of those people who are uh, telling their own stories, it's going to be a lot more personal than just, you know, from afar and saying, Oh, ha yeah, the Brazilians, you know, play the game beautifully and have fun, or the Germans are very t- oriented. You know, we have these, these conceptions of different soccer cultures around the world, but, you know, do we tell enough of the individual stories? Probably not. And I think if we do that more, uh, that makes for a much richer experience.
0: And to cap it off, here's what he would tell his 10-year-old self.
1: I would tell him just to stay 10 as long as possible, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of us would like to tell our, our younger selves this: is, is just, you know, don't don't think so much about what other people are thinking about what you're doing, what you're saying. You know, be be authentically you. Um, try not to worry about what others are thinking and saying, and, and just enjoy um, as, as much as possible being being yourself. And and that's it sounds corny, I know, and I know it's inc- it's not as easy as that, uh, and I get that, but. Um, I think that just as as we could all be a little bit more kind to each other, I think we could all be a little bit more kind to ourselves. And so I think that's the biggest thing I would tell my 10-year-old self.